Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.49 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 23rd of January, 2023. This is episode 660 of Bitcoin, and I've completed yet one more trip around the sun. Last week was birthday week for me, and honestly, it was I had a pretty good birthday. And I normally don't make a big old fuss about my birthday. I don't, I don't, I, I basically tell my family I kind of don't want anything. I just want my family. <clears throat> I want a good meal. I, I, you know, that's it. You know, I'm real easy when it comes to my birthday. You know, I don't want a cake. I don't want a party. I just want to chill out. And when we went this weekend on my birthday, uh, we went up to, drove about an hour and a half straight north, you know, and ended up in this town uh, above, I had north of Spokane. Uh, and it's a farming community and it's, it's really kind of odd. I say a farming community and most of you go, well, why is that odd? These are all really small farms. There are a couple of very large, almost commercial sized orchards, actually not in almost industrial size, definitely beyond, you know, what you would consider a hobby orchard or something like that. But for the most part, these guys that are out there out in the middle of the sticks, this, this thing, this place has been there since like 1902. And it's always kind of been this cooperative of small farms. And there's vegetable farms and there's orchards and there's cherries and apricots and peaches. And I didn't know you could grow a peach this far north, but apparently it's being done. There's a guy that even though they don't grow chocolate, he buys his own chocolate beans, grinds them himself and makes chocolate bars and it's delicious. And if you're if you know anything about being a chocolatier, and I don't, but I've watched enough I've watched enough Food Network to know that making chocolate is not is not all that easy when you want to make really high quality chocolate. And this dude on his little tiny farm out there, you know, like 20 minutes north of of Spokane has made some of the best chocolate I've ever tasted. And so we walk into this place and the thing about it is, is that there's an event going on that my wife wants to go to and it's about spinning yarn. It's called a spin in. I didn't know these things existed. Oh, like, okay. Well, you know, shit, I got nothing better to do for a birthday. Let's, let's, you know, let's go and let's have some fun. So we walk into this, to this room that's in this building that was built in like, I don't know, it's over a hundred years old. I mean, honestly. It doesn't look like it, but it was. It was built a hundred years ago. It's not all that big, but it's got a, you know it's got a pretty decent size you know meeting space on the inside. And there were forty women with spinning wheels spinning yarn. That's not an exag- exaggeration. There was almost no room to walk between them and the seven vendors that they had. 
And the vendors were selling what? They were selling, like, this one vendor was selling just full-blown shorn sheep pelts. Not really pelts, because that would include the leather, but just, I don't know, whatever it is that you, when you shear a sheep, the thing that comes off, all the wool that comes off of it, just, they just stuff it into bags, and you've got to clean it if you want to make it into, you know, like fiber that you are going to spin into yarn. Then there's people selling, you know, full-blown, already, you know, built bags of fiber. There's, you know, some women with, you know, clearly there's always going to be soap and candles and stuff like that at a place like this. But then there was my friend that made the chocolate. And I got a chance to talk with him at length about what his operation was doing, you know, how they work up there. And it turns out that, it's like a 40 air, 40 square mile area of all these little farms and they have a cooperative and it's become a thing where you go to this place and you can see all these farms and you can go get vegetables from all of them and you can go get fruit from all of them. You can go get all kinds of stuff. And it's a really interesting little place. And I met the one of two beef producers that are on that bluff. And I talked at length with him. And as usual, he's the guy, he's going to end up being the guy that's probably going to be more interested in Bitcoin than I thought. Because he's like, he doesn't like Bill Gates. He thinks that there's a nefarious move behind Bill Gates buying up all the farmland. We both agree that Bill Gates has no intention of farming any of that land. And if he does, it's going to be just like a, a, a lease that will cost the farmer doing it that that farmer will have to come up with a shit ton of money to be able to afford the lease to be able to farm that land. And it's just going to get pushed higher because I don't think, and neither does this rancher think that Bill Gates has any, any conception or not conception. He, he has no, he doesn't want to farm. He doesn't want that shit in production and it will slowly rotate out of production. I guarantee it. And we talked about another great many things, got his uh, name and his phone number, and he's definitely going to be somebody that I try to get on the show. And I'm going to try to start getting this stuff lined up for spring. I want to start getting to know these guys' operations over the rest of this month and February and March and probably into May. And then in June, I think it'd be time to start cutting some episodes on, on talking to some ranchers. But I've also discovered that you guys probably might want to hear from some of these farmers that are making a living. They're not driving Lambos, but some of these guys have pretty decent, decent, you know, looking lifestyles to me. Uh, and you might want to hear from them too. So it might, I might just go ahead and start doing farm and ranch uh, as, as far as sovereign lifestyles. And then I want to start asking them the basic question without, you know, it's a Bitcoin show. So I'm going to ask them, what do you think about Bitcoin? And some of them are going to hate it and you're going to have to listen to why they hate it. And the reason I'm going to bring that to you is that if we have a hope in hell of changing anybody's minds, then we need to know what those minds actually think before we start talking to them. So I'm going to bring you the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's just going to take a while because I've got to start, I've got to get these guys trust. And the only way that you can really do that is you got to go, shake their hand, but you have to do it more than once. You have to go out. You got to get to know these people, understand their operation. Why are they doing the shit that they do? And that's not something that can actually be completed in a single interview 
which I've noticed, uh, like I've noticed that some of the farm and ranch stuff that I listen to, it's like, oh, I'll, you know, I hear that there's a rancher out there. I'll call him up. I don't really know the guy. I'll ask him a series of stock questions. Uh, no, I don't think it's going to work that way. And I, I don't think it's going, I don't think that's going to deliver the kind of show that I want to start producing. I need to have a base relationship with these people before I put them on a mic. And that's going to take a while. That's why I'm not even going to think about cutting any of this stuff until June. Okay, with that said, let's get into the news. And first up is Brian Armstrong. And he's not really in the news. He hasn't done anything, you know, that's quote unquote CNBC worthy. But it's interesting that over the last 20 hours, he's made two tweets that are basically retweeting stuff and showing Bitcoin in a good light which is odd for Brian because we know that Brian Armstrong hates Bitcoin. He's always hated Bitcoin. He can't control it because he's one of the sociopaths that are involved in this space that is making everybody's lives miserable, right? But all of a sudden, he's uh, replying, he says uh, to this tweet, uh, whole Mars catalog put out a tweet on January the 22nd, said Brazil and Argentina to start preparations for a common currency and then links to an FT article, which I won't read. But Brian Armstrong retweets that and says, I wonder if they would consider moving to Bitcoin. That would probably be the right long-term bet. Then there's another one. He's retweeting Pomp, Anthony Pompliano at this point. And Pomp says, U.S. national debt is now $31.41 trillion. Madness. Brian Armstrong retweets that and says, this is the bull case for Bitcoin. What's going on? What's going on? This is a guy who hates Bitcoin. He's never liked it. Of course, he will tell you that he does, but he doesn't. And you judge a person by their actions more than what they say. And that inc- that goes for me too. But for Brian, somebody who would sign his name to the New York agreement that was going to force a block size increase on, on us and told basically told us that if we didn't like it, we could go screw and go pound sand. Uh, I, that's an action that means that he doesn't understand Bitcoin at all. He doesn't understand how the network is dependent upon not only miners, but node runners and wallets and exchanges and all, there's a whole host of stakeholders in this ecosystem and all of us matter. And you, miners can't do anything if I'm not going to validate transactions on my node. And I will not validate trans. I was not going to validate transactions that had a consensus rule that said a four megabyte block was just okay. No, no, it's not. And I'm not going to validate any of those fucking transactions. I'm not going to do it, and I never will. I might consider validating transactions on a block size that is less than a megabyte, or what are we at? One point four after Segwit, uh, but. Even that would be a hard sell for me because honestly, that's a hard fork. And uh, even though Luke Dash Jr. makes some really good common sense uh, arguments for a 300 kilobyte block, it would still be a hard sell for me. But when a group of suit wearing, tie wearing bitches sit around a table and try to dictate terms to me, I ain't having none of it because I don't have to. I run a node. Node runners are just as important as the miners because without the node runners, there are no valid transactions to include in a block. That's an important point to understand. All of us matter. 
And Brian Armstrong went against all of us, along with all the rest of those assholes that signed the New York agreement. And Bruce, uh, Bruce Fenton signed that agreement, and he was the only one to publicly apologize for it. After the whole thing went south, and it looked like it would have taken Bitcoin down with it if they had been successful, because the, the blockchain, their blockchain that was ready to go for a four megabyte block never even got off the start because of an off by one arithmetic error in the code, which honestly is just sophomoric at that point. It would have, it would have, it would have borked the, the entire Bitcoin blockchain because that one just stopped dead in its tracks. And Bruce Fenton was the only person to actually come out and say, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself and I was wrong and I'm sorry. All of the rest of them, including Brian Armstrong, never apologized. And here's Brian Armstrong, what? Making a bull case for Bitcoin? What's going on? Something has happened, something's brewing, not, maybe not at Coinbase, but something that Brian knows about or is involved with deeply or even just attached to somehow, something's going on. So watch Brian Armstrong over the next couple of weeks and see what else falls out of his mouth because I don't trust him. I don't think you should trust him. Let's move on to mainstream Bitcoin exchanges have obscured the value of private P2P alternatives. Okada writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Buying your first Bitcoin has dramatically changed since the early days of trading on forums or the internet relay chat, IRC. Large exchanges sprung up and nowadays they've perfected the art of attracting newbies through demystifying the buying experience with seamless and quite frankly, mindless user interfaces. Over time, regulators pressured exchanges into collecting users' data to verify their personal credentials. Exchanges such as these, we'll call them verification exchanges or VEXs, have custody of your funds and have tools at their disposal to track your identity linked funds on chain. The reader should already be aware of the advantages of self-custody, a topic worthy of its own detailed exploration. The convenience of mainstream VEXs such as Coinbase and Binance have effectively perverted end-user expectations of private, peer-to-peer alternatives when buying Bitcoin. Consequently, they are disinclined to use alternatives despite the immeasurable benefits to be gained. To clarify, we are defining exchanges by their requirements for users to to supply identifying information, not whether they are centralized or decentralized in nature. Centralized exchanges can operate privately, P2P, if they hold no information on their users and do not custody funds. Centralization doesn't have to sacrifice end-user privacy if the exchange only performs the role of a blind matchmaker and, if shut down, can simply be relaunched by cloning its open-source repository. Therefore, the distinctive VEX label is more appropriate than incorrectly referring to all centralized exchanges as having poor privacy. For full disclosure, the author contributes to the open source P2P exchange RoboSats, but this article is not endorsing just one P2P exchange. Rather, it is an endorsement for the use of any private P2P exchanges. Anything is better than VEXs. 
Obviously, the problem with VEXs is the utter lack of privacy. Users are required to submit self-identifying information like a driver's license or passport that will perpetually link purchased Bitcoin to that user. To reiterate, a user's real name is forever associated with that Bitcoin in all downstream transactions. If they withdraw that Bitcoin from the identifying exchange and use mixing services, the public ledger can make this evident and authorities may associate that action with criminal activity regardless of the user's intent. On top of leaving a digital paper trail, their email, password, phone number, and fiat bank credentials can become exposed as bad actors can access this information through hacking or by disgruntled exchange employees leaking users' personal information. Or, as evidenced by recent exchange collapses like FTX, they risk losing their Bitcoin since they don't truly possess their private keys. Many buyers and sellers use these privacy invasive exchanges primarily because they wield vast liquidity in a slew of local currencies and their slick mobile apps make buying and selling Bitcoin a trivial task. What's more, they've built addictive casinos aimed at increasing user retention with every confetti-filled dopamine-inducing trade. Let's read that again, because sometimes when I'm listening to a podcast, Something important goes by, and this one is important, and I don't catch it until the last two words, and it clicks, shit, I should have listened to that whole sentence, so I'm going to read this one again. What's more, they've built addictive casinos aimed at increasing user retention with every confetti-filled dopamine-inducing trade. So, and this is me speaking, um, what I'm assuming, and I don't know because I haven't actually bought Bitcoin from anything other than Cash App or Swan in so long, I don't know what getting a confetti-filled screen looks like. So I'm assuming that on Coinbase, when you buy Bitcoin, the screen has a little fireworks display. I don't know, but that's unethical because it is a dopamine hit. It's just like Twitter. It's just like Facebook used to be. Now that's so terrible, I don't think anybody's actually getting dopamine hits off of it. But Twitter's a real good example of this shit. The dopamine rush that was coming out of Twitter due to the algorithms and all manner of other things was pretty retentive, as in you being retained to continue to look at that screen, which is one of the reasons that I'm really glad that they banned me and now I'm on Noster and there are no algorithms. It's just you, whoever it is you're following, you, whenever they put up a post or a note or something, you see it. And that's the way the algorithm works. It's a temporal algorithm like we're all used to. And you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't induce you to sit there for hours looking at Noster. Noster releases you sometimes. It's quite amazing. So can, now let's continue with this particular article. Uh, do to do. Unfortunately, many of the owners and operators of VEXs rapidly advocate for adoption-friendly regulations by collecting their customers' data under the guise of protecting honest users. But the collection of sensitive user data in the first place is ripe for exploitation by cyber criminals. The simple solution is to avoid VEXs altogether. Why use private P2P alternatives? Well, consider the second order effects of using and thereby supporting anti-privacy exchanges. How you buy and sell Bitcoin will have amplifying effects on those exchanges and the greater Bitcoin network. 
When using a VEX, you are amplifying the practice of invading privacy and giving credence to the normalization of it. Speaking with your wallet has never been more applicable than when buying Bitcoin yourself. If using a P2P exchange, then you are contributing Bitcoin or fiat liquidity to that platform and thus amplifying the immediately available liquidity so that more users can benefit from privacy-oriented exchanges rather than relying on VEXs. The result of supporting VEXs will restrict fiat on-ramps and lead to a failure of Bitcoin's core ideology as a permissionless P2P electronic cash system. On the other hand, Supporting P2P exchanges will reinforce the permissionless nature of Bitcoin and create a more robust privacy network for anyone to freely use. The following sections look into the expectations for a P2P exchange for some of the users who are accustomed to VEXs. Immediately available liquidity. In this author's experience, the biggest complaint from users of VEXs regarding P2P exchanges is the lack of immediately available liquidity for some currencies and fiat payment methods. Every P2P exchange launches with low liquidity and only grows if the user base grows. Such is the origin of any P2P exchange. They do not have sudden vast liquidity at the get-go and without anyone bothering to contribute liquidity, P2P exchanges would cease to exist. Without a marketing budget, they can't really do anything besides bring in more users with word-of-mouth advertising. In the case of RoboSats, we have seen that many new users will only check the order book at that specific moment and very often assume weak liquidity, but they do not realize that untaken orders expire in 24 hours and successful trades are not visible. The trade turnover is actually quite high and orders get taken relatively quickly. Interestingly, behind the apparent lack of liquidity is a highly liquid market. Thus, the distinction should be made between immediately available liquidity on VEXs and high turnover liquidity on P2P exchanges. In this same vein, VEXs make classic dollar cost averaging a breeze while P2P exchanges usually take a little extra elbow grease. Rather fittingly, this could be seen as a comparison between high time preference stacking with VEXs and low time preference stacking with P2P exchanges. In short, P2P exchanges get better with more liquidity and users. Buying and selling Bitcoin on a private P2P exchange usually involves a premium. Users who are accustomed to the VEX lifestyle may hesitate paying above the Bitcoin to fiat market rate for fear of getting fewer Satoshis for their fiat. Conversely, users who value privacy take no issue paying extra for their anonymous Bitcoin. In P2P markets, where there are imbalances between supply and demand, premiums are used on buy and sell orders to incentivize anonymous peers to provide liquidity to the marketplace. If you are buying Bitcoin in a currency or payment method that is inconvenient for the seller, then by raising your premium, you may attract someone willing to go out of their way for more Satoshis, you have to make it worth their time. If selling Bitcoin, you can gain more fiat in exchange for it when using P2P services versus VEXs. From the seller's point of view, the order premium is an opportunity for profitable arbitrage that also incentivizes sellers to part ways with their desirable Bitcoin for undesirable fiat. From one perspective, the market rate on VEXs could be viewed as a discounted version of Bitcoin that will invade your privacy at the 
benefit, quote unquote, of more Satoshis in your stack. Whereas the market rate on P2P exchanges can be seen as the real Bitcoin market evaluation that users are paying to truly secure their wealth and protect their personal privacy. It should go without saying, but wanting to transact Bitcoin privately has absolutely nothing to do with criminal activity, like lawmakers so desperately preach. Rather, it is solely to protect yourself from criminal activity against your wealth and potentially your life. If you practice multisig because you take the $5 wrench attack seriously, then you should also transact Bitcoin privately. The idea that your life is in danger by exposing your identity may sound extreme, but it's not some far-fetched radical fantasy. Bitcoin bought privately will always carry a premium because the market will forever value it more than Bitcoin that is bought with the capability of exposing your personal finances. No exchange is perfect, and that applies to both VEXs as well as P2P exchanges. No matter how streamlined or foolproof the platform appears to be, users can still run into trouble. When they do encounter issues, there's nothing more comforting than knowing a real human being is there to help. In contrast to your typical customer service employee, the volunteer developers and contributors are often more than willing to go out of their way to resolve problems and issues since they have more ambition and desire to keep users enjoying the platform. Moreover, P2P platforms are more likely to provide tailored solutions since problems that occur are more often than not outside of the platform's control, like issues with a certain third-party wallet or lightning network limitations. In this author's observation, the response times, positive attitudes, and general helpfulness of P2P exchanges far exceeds that of VEXs, where users resignedly gripe about their terrible and incompetent customer service departments. By exploring some of these warped expectations, hopefully readers will adjust theirs accordingly when using the variety the variety, there's a lot of them, the variety of privacy-focused exchanges available. While ideally expectations should not need to be adjusted, users need to recognize the plain realities that when using smaller, lower volume exchanges that focus on privacy over profit and operate on a relatively minuscule budget, VEXs such as Coinbase and Binance have had many years to establish their brands by building user trust for now, and with the help of crypto educators encouraging newbies to buy their first assortment of tokens and coins on verification exchanges because it's easy, or more probably because they were paid to shill those products. You likely bought your first Bitcoin on a VEX, I did, because you were told that it's easy or were not aware of private alternatives. Likewise, you probably didn't find out about the disastrous implications of linking your real-life identity to your Bitcoin stack until far later into your journey down the rabbit hole. No need to fret. It is never too late to begin working toward a more secure and private future. Keep your Bitcoin bought on VEXs wholly separate from your private Bitcoin stack and stop giving VEXs your business. Ultimately, P2P exchanges will have to work incredibly hard to compete in the same league as VEXs. Yet, without peers liquefying the order books, there would be no private P2P exchanges at all. The best we can do is reason with users to value privacy and adjust their expectations when using P2P exchanges in lieu of high-volume, privacy-forgoing verification exchanges, so spread the word. 
Okay. So I made a point to highlight this sentence that says, accordingly, when using the variety of privacy focused exchanges, uh, that's because there is a link here that takes us da, 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 to 15 methods to acquire non-KYC Bitcoin. And I'm just, there's a brief description of all of them. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to read the names so that you know, because people have asked me, and this is the answer, where the hell would you go buy Bitcoin if you're not buying it off Coinbase? Well, you can use BISQ, B-I-S-Q. You can use HODL HODL. You can use RoboSats. You can use Azteco, that's spelled A-Z-T-E-C-O. That's Beautyon's outfit. Um, if you're still not blocked by Beautyon uh, and you still like him, you can use Azteco. He never blocked me. I, I don't know what got, I don't know what got under his thumb about blocking a whole bunch of people, but he did. I don't, screw it, I don't care. I still like Beautyon and, and Azteco has been around for every bit as long as Bisk and Hoddle Hoddle have, okay? Good, it's a good outfit. Agora Desk is another one. Peach, like the fruit, is another one. Local cryptos, local coin swap, Bitcoin voucher bot, LNP2P bot, Bitcoin OTC marketplace, Bitcoin ATM, mining yourself in person and earn it. Okay. So those are the, those are the ways and when earn it is not a, a place that's like where you sell your products and your, your, your services in exchange for Bitcoin that comes directly to a wallet that you control from the user without going through an exchange in person. Well, that just literally means in person. Like if I go to a uh, bit block boom, which I probably will never be able to go to again, because I just live too freaking far away. Um, I could go up and talk to, I don't know, Matt Odell and say, Hey Matt, uh, here's a thousand dollars hard cash. Will you do me a favor and give me some Bitcoin for it? And he might very well say, yes, he's done it before, but there are Bitcoiners all over the place that will do that. Okay. So use cash in person to purchase Bitcoin from a Bitcoiner that, you know, do that, or you can mine Bitcoin, right? You can start a miner. You can get an S nine and just earn like, you know, a pittance of sats, uh, if you want to do it that way. And then Bitcoin ATMs, it depends on the ATM, right? Some of them are asking, I've, I've heard stories that some of them are asking to, for you to hold up a driver's license front and back to the ATM's camera. I don't know. I've never seen it. But if that is in fact the case, yeah, you might not want to do that. Uh, the bots that they were talking about, Bitcoin voucher bot, um, uh, those are on Telegram. And LNP2P bot is also on Telegram. So that's a way that you can get it through Telegram. But local coin swap, local cryptos, Peach, Agora Desk, Azteco, Robosats, Hoddle Hoddle, and Bisk, those are all companies that are P2P, fairly decentralized. And that's how you buy Bitcoin without going through a KYC exchange. I should take my own advice and stop using, uh, what am I using? Cash App. Um, so even Swan takes your information and I love the guys over at Swan, but they are, they're operating in the United States. They are going to have to, they're going to have to comply. It depends on what you want, not us asking what they want. If you don't want to buy through cash app or Coinbase or Binance or Swan or river financial, good, that's fine. 
But you've got to use something like BISC, HODL, HODL, RoboSats, Azteco, Agoradesk, Peach, local cryptos, local coin swap, and any of the bots on Telegram, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's up to you, and it's up to me. Now, uh, let's see. What Snort Social. This is the time in which I'm going to do um, boosts. But one of the things, I got this message on Snort Social, which is a, a desktop web client for Noster, right? It's like there are several clients for Noster. They're all being built by different people. It's like if it, back in the day before Twitter decided to kill all third-party applications that used its API and all the rest of its tools to make a Twitter-like experience, but they were sucking off the Twitter API, so all the tweets and all the data and DMs were going through the API. Well, they, they shit can that last week. Nobody's allowed to do it like a, a whole bunch of companies that have been around forever that gave another avenue to look at, at Twitter, they're not allowed to do it anymore. I don't know if this affects Knitter or not. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah. So it, the, that clown show is is definitely on fire. So, um, but most of my boostograms come through Fountain App. But this one guy uh, has gotten a hold of me in a DM on uh, on Snort, or well, on Noster, and I'm reading it to you through Snort, uh, because he wasn't able to get Fountain to work for him on a boostogram, and uh, I felt bad for him <laughs> because that kind of sucks, and I don't know what happened, but here's what he would have given me in a boostogram, and be aware, grammar, uh, you're going to have to ditch that. Proper grammar, you're going to have to ditch that on this. And um, just bear with it, okay? Uh, Bit happens. Uh, Thirteen thirty-one is this guy's uh, handle on Noster. Says took me a bit, but I think we're on to something with Noster. Still learning this interface, but Fountain keeps messing up communications. I have some cool maps if I can figure out Astral Ninja. Also, Mono Atomics, a real big deal. This stuff explains so much at times and is in many cultural references. And uh, he says lure. I think he means lore. Sorry, I couldn't send sats, but I hope I've given value. JFK and 9-11 come up now and again, depending on what one researches. I like to think of them both as some kind of conveniently transplanted, inevitable temporal event with each having implications conceivably foreseen by AI or not, who knows. Like you, I seldom remove any possibility. 1331 is the most powerful multiple of 11, so I speak more to try to help if I can. I really think some like Bitcoin was foreseen and anticipated, and I just can't shake it for the life of me. Believe it or not, I've been Roswell literate since I was in 1995, but last night was the first time I saw Alice in Wonderland not Disney to my surprise, and from 1865. Dude, rewatch the part with the two Tweedledums, in particular their story about proof of work and how the, wal the walrus freaked out. Also, look up the back of the French 1865 coin. You'll see a flying saucer. Too cool, huh? Your show, your music. Mix it up, do what you like. That would be cool. I would never call you a Ramsey 
Me, I prefer a good Art Bell or Terrence McKenna to get some abstract going. Side note about all the additional disclosures in the last few years on this on his way out, Trump signed a dated release of top sensitive projects out into the open so much that the data is still being mined. Thank you. A bit happens. I appreciate that bit happens. Um, sorry that you weren't able to transact fully on Fountain. Um, hopefully that will change. Um, yeah, some of this, some of this stuff. Yeah, sometimes I wonder about Bitcoin too. It, is it possible that it's an actual gift from God, or if you don't believe in God, that the universe itself is just tired of the hairless monkeys fucking everything up and decided to give us a present so that we would like in the hunger games where it's like that one present that comes down out of the sky that might change the fortune of the players in the hunger game. Could it be? I don't know. And I never will. Neither will anybody else. All we can do is conjecture and we have to understand whether or not that time that we use to conjecture about it is giving us any value. Speaking of value, let's get to the rest of the boostergrams. I got Mix Master Mikey B with 5,000 sats says, wait, I kind of wish Satoshi.gif would be a thing once 21 million was reached. What a hell of a reveal. Yeah, that would be kind of funny. It scared the piss out of the market, so I'll tell you that. Ptar with a row of ducks, 22, 22 sats. I read this on Reddit, and I'm afraid it might be right. Quote, CZ is artificially pumping the market to turn retail into exit liquidity for all the companies that came out and said they, quote, had no exposure, end quote, to Genesis's bankruptcy. Why? Because if they all go down, they're bringing Binance with them. Okay. I can't, I, it does, it wouldn't surprise me. At this point though, nothing surprises me. You know, and I would say I've seen it all. No, I haven't seen it all yet. But this shit, this shit doesn't surprise me. This is sort of like easy pickings, honestly. Uh, Greggy with a thousand sats says, Jamie and the rest of the legacy fiat scam system don't want to let go of their scam monopoly money pyramid scheme, naturally. It just works so well for them. It certainly does. Nick underscore dose with 269 sats says, cheers. <laughs> well, at least he wrote something like, I, you know, I'm always bitching about, Hey, uh, write something. Don't just give me sats. Say something for me to say. And he did. Cheers. Let's run the numbers. All right. Futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate up 0.75% to $82.25 a barrel. Brent North Sea up 1.14% to $88.63. Natural gas banging it out almost 5% to the upside, $3.32 a thousand cubic feet. A gallon of gas up 2% uh, to $2.69. Metals are mixed uh, pretty much sideways for most of them. Gold, eh, up scant, $1,929 an ounce. Silver is down, however, a point and a half, $23.56. Platinum is up a point, 
Uh, copper is down, or no, up. Scant and palladium is down just over half a point, so not a whole lot of action going on. Uh, ag, ag, however, got some action. Wheat down 3.44%. Soybeans down 1.19. Corn is down 1.74. However, coffee is up 2.5%. Cotton is up 1.2%. Rough rice is up a half point. And chocolate or cocoa is up 1.32%. Dow is up almost a full point. S&P up a point and a half. NASDAQ two and a half points to the upside. And S&P mini one and a half points to the upside. Real money is also up $23,076. We just crossed the 23K mark. Uh, We've had what? Good Lord, where am I at? I'm sorry, guys. Only a quarter million uh, Bitcoin being sent around the horn. That's just shy of uh, 10,500 BTC every hour on the hour. Uh, 0.91 BTC is the average transaction value. 0.014 BTC or $320 is the median transaction value. Nine minutes and 56 seconds is the block time right now. And 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 15 and a half BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. We've had an 8.4% rise in hash rate, bringing us to 289.1 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is also pumping. So all the shitcoins are pumping today. Doge is at 8.9, 8.9 United States pennies. Last Friday, it was 8.2, if I remember right. So that should tell you what all the shitcoins are doing. There is a mere 976 transactions awaiting two blocks to clear. Uh, We have a $445.1 billion market cap. That is now 3.5% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,270,246.87 of, and 5,242.4 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $121.1 million, being run over 16,015 nodes, uh, sporting 75,867 payment channels, and 68.5% of all of that is being run over TOR's 11,262 associated Lightning Network nodes, and that's going to be all for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use, and this is going to be probably rather long. (laughs) There's a lot of news, lots of news. Let's start with SBF. Sam Bankman-Fried to forfeit $700 million worth of assets if found guilty of fraud. Brian Quarmby untangles this mess from Cointelegraph. According to new court filings, disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried will be subject to the forfeiture of roughly $700 million worth of assets if he were to be found guilty of fraud. In a court document filed on January the 20th, United States Federal Prosecutor Damian Williams outlined that the government respectfully gives notice that the property subject to forfeiture covers a long list of assets across fiat, shares, and crypto. The filing states that most of the assets were seized by the government between January the 4th and January the 19th, while it is also looking to lay claim to, quote, all monies and assets, in quote, belonging to three separate Binance accounts. 
Looking at the list of seized assets, the biggest allocation includes 55 million Robinhood shares worth roughly $525.5 million at the time of writing, $94.5 million held at Silvergate Bank, and 49.4, no, 49.9 million held at fucking a Farmington State Bank and 20.7 million at EDNF Man Capital Markets Incorporated. Why am I laughing at Farmington State Bank? Uh, because he's talking about the bank that was bought by, I, I think it was Alameda and it's an Eastern Washington State Bank. I know exactly where this place is because I could just drive north and go get there to Farmington, Washington. This is a bank that doesn't have credit card services. They don't even issue ATM cards. That The whole story behind the purchase of the Farmington State Bank is there's something real fishy going on there. All right, now I don't know exactly what. Maybe it's just as simple as they wanted to get access to, uh, you know, have an end to banking regulatory stuff. I, I don't know. But there was many other banks that you could have bought this thing, if you actually go look on Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever, look for images of Farmington State Bank in Farmington, Washington, the United States of America, and you will see a shack. That's what you will see. It, it's, it's a farmer's bank. All they do is, or all they used to do is give ag loans. They don't, they don't even make home loans. And he's got what? Uh... $50 million sitting in a garage shop bank. This is amazing. This I can't believe this app is free kind of thing. Anyway, they give a, a little bit about the, uh, the actual language the, that was given out. I'm not going to read that part, but the government has submitted a forfeiture order in this instance, as it alleges that these assets have been obtained unlawfully via the use of customer, customer deposits. While members of SBF's inner circle, such as Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang, have fessed up and cooperated with prosecutors over their roles in FTX's collapse, the man himself has pleaded not guilty to all eight criminal charges laid against him. So there you go. I mean, dude... They're going to, I mean, they're going to take everything from him, but there's that question. Will he be found guilty? That's, that is the million dollar question. If he's not, we know that he was a plant by the federal government, maybe treasury or the SEC. I don't know to just to somehow or another help destroy crypto or, or help kill Bitcoin, which Bitcoin's never going to die. I will never stop running my node. It's just not going to happen. Or if he is found guilty, then the conjecture will be, and I guarantee this, that they screwed this up so bad that the federal government's plant into Bitcoin and crypto, uh, they're just going to have, they're just going to have to burn them down. Either way, we're never going to get out of the, the conspiracy theory, which is totally legit, by the way, that Sam Bankman-Fried was a plant by the United States government to do some level of damage to Bitcoin and crypto. And why wouldn't they? They stand to lose everything and they're not going to give a shit about burning down some kid from the Bahamas. They don't care. 
Somebody might get to him first, though. Why do I say that? Well, let's see if I can find it. Sam Bankman fried faced a security threat at his parents' home. Lawyers claim Jason Nelson tells us more. Decrypt.co. The collapse of FTX took an allegedly dangerous turn this week as attorneys for founder Sam Bankman fried claimed that a driver crashed a car into the barricade at his parents' home and that the car's occupants made threatening statements. According to the letter, which was sent by Sam Bankman frieds attorneys to U.S. Federal Judge Lewis Kaplan on Thursday, a driver recently crashed a black car into the metal barricade outside the home in Palo Alto, California, where he's currently residing on house arrest. Three unidentified men allegedly got out of the vehicle and told a security guard something about something to the effect of, you won't be able to keep us out before driving away. The date of the alleged incident was not specified in the letter. Yeah, and I I've, I think I did this one on Friday. This is a, a different story. But the real point here is that somebody's getting pissed off. And here's my, my issue. You got a guy. He crashes his car into a barricade. A barricade. How many of you have barricades around your house? Or... I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Maybe, maybe they had barricades because they were installed because they knew that there was going to be threats. But generally speaking, most people don't have barricades around their house unless they're uber wealthy. And I don't think, I mean, I think his parents are wealthy, but I don't think they're uber wealthy. I don't, it doesn't matter because the real point here is this. This guy crashes his car into the home of a family who has a federal fugitive. Well, he's not really a fugitive, but he's under federal arrest and he's under house arrest and he's in that house. So, you know, it's under guard. Crashes the car into the barricade. Gets at, and three guys get out of the car and go up to the guards and says, you'll never be able to stop us. Then get back into the car and drive away. And none of the guards apparently thought to take down the license plate number. That's right. They don't know anything about the car or the gentleman in the car because nobody, none of the guards thought it wise to snap a picture on their cell phone or write simply write down on a piece of paper what the license plate of the offending vehicle was. Nowhere is it said that it didn't have a license plate. That would be of note. So what the hell's going on? Now, I'm not being conspiratorial here, but don't you think that that's a little odd? If I were to drive a car into a barricade that's being guarded because there's a federal prisoner in there and then I get out, apparently not fearing for my life that the guards are going to shoot me dead because I just endangered all of their lives, which is well within their right to do, and then yell at them a little bit and then get back in my car and none of them take down the license plate number? Don't you find this just a little odd? You got to ask yourself, it's it's those things that make you go, huh, right? Well, we're not done. Uh, FTX's VCs are liable to serious questions around their due diligence According to the CFTC commissioner, Arjit Sarkar, Cointelegraph, amid ongoing investigations around the defunct crypto exchange FTX, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission questions the due diligence conducted by institutional investors and their accountability regarding the loss of users' funds. 
CFT Commissioner Christy Goldsmith Romero stated that VCs or venture capitalists that had to write down their investments in millions of dollars to nearly zero raises serious questions about the due diligence conducted over the last year, speaking to Bloomberg. She raised concerns about FTX CEO John Ray's revelations in court about not having any records and control over the exchange's financials. The lack of record keeping coupled with an auditor no one's ever heard of forces the CFTC to ask questions about the mindset of the institutional investors. In this regard, Romero asked a series of questions, quote, how is this possible? So do they turn a blind eye to it? Were they just distracted by the promise of innovation? End quote. FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried used trust as a marketing technique to gain investor confidence. However, Romero echoed the current investor sentiment while stating that, quote, we now, oh, sorry, we know now that that's just not true, end quote. As a result, she believed that the VCs backing FTX ignored the red flags when it came to due diligence, further questioning their involvement, quote, so was there some conflicts that prevented the VC backers from really paying attention to the due diligence and the facts that they were uncovering? Asked Romero while conducting or concluding the topic at hand. Shark Tank star and investor Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, who once supported FTX, warned against the possible fall of unregulated crypto exchanges. And he stated, quote, if you're asking me if there's going to be another meltdown to zero, absolutely, 100% it'll happen and it'll keep happening over and over and over again, end quote. As Cointelegraph previously reported, based on a report by the National Bureau of Economic Research, up to 70% of the trading volume on unregulated exchanges is wash trading. Now, I'm not sure why they put those two things in there at the very end because it doesn't really have anything to do with the question of VCs and their due diligence because like lover or hater as a regulator, you know, the CFTC commissioner is asking the right questions. She is. She, I mean, we may, you know, I hate regulation and all regulations should die. I get it. I understand. But she's still asking the correct question. What the hell were VCs doing when they were in bed with Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, Alameda, Carolyn Ellison, and Gary Wang? What is it that they were looking for? What is it that they were satisfied with? All these questions pretty much need to be answered because VCs drive more than you think they drive. You know, we have venture capitalists. It's like, oh, well, they're just going to invest in the next way to make fake meat. That's not all they do. I guarantee you VCs in quote unquote invest into the political structures at hand. I guarantee you they invest in shit that you've never heard of before. What else are they doing? And how else are they screwing this up? Or more likely, what did they have to gain by ignoring the obvious red flags that they saw and completely understood to be red flags? That's where I'm coming from. They saw it. They knew. They did it anyway. Why? Do you have an idea as to why? What could possibly be go? What do they have to gain by ignoring such obvious red flags? Because you know they saw them. You know they understood their import. They're not stupid. They're just, they, they just aren't. 
a lot of people will attribute to incompetence and just being a dumbass. You know, oh, well, they were just being a dumbass. You know, not in this case. It's this, this did not happen because they're dumbasses. The question is why? If you have a theory, I want to hear about it. Give me a boostagram and I'll read it on the air. Even if it's freaking nutty. If it's nutty and you're just being an asshole about it, at least make it funny, okay? That's all, I, that's all I'm asking. Now, Binance's Swift banking partner is set to ban USD transfers below $100,000 US. I'll read it again because this shit's important. Binance's Swift banking partner is going to ban United States dollar transfers below 100,000. Braden Lindria for Cointelegraph. Binance, oh, well, let's just do this one. Binance has informed its retail customer base of a potential incoming service disruption that may halt on and off-ramp bank payment transfers. You, you see where this is going? This is how they do it. This is why you need to understand BISC, HODL, and I do too. I need to start figuring out how to work BISC and HODL, HODL, and all the rest of that stuff because this is where it starts. By They're not going to just, they're just going to make sure that the poor retail schmoes will never, ever be able to buy Bitcoin on an exchange by making it so pricey that their entry point is so far above any money that they'll ever have that they just can't. And those are the people that hopefully will flood to BISC and RoboSats and Azteco and HODL HODL and all the rest of the things that I read you at the top of the show. Because this shit is going to happen. The service disruption will impact users of US dollar held bank accounts that are looking to buy or sell cryptocurrencies for less than $100,000 via the SWIFT payment system. The disruption will take effect February the 1st. That's not, ne- that's not the February after next. Guys, that's coming up in about, what, a week and a half? Something like that? Be prepared, motherfucker. <laughs> Binance announced the news to its Binanceans by mail on January the 21st, stressing that they're now actively seeking a new SWIFT partner to avoid service disruptions for future bank payment transfers. Good luck. The cryptocurrency exchange added that this was the banking partner's decision and that Binance wouldn't be the only trading platform impacted by the change. Quote, this is the case for all of their crypto exchange clients. Please be advised that until we are able to find an alternative solution, you may not be able to use your bank account to buy or sell crypto with USD via SWIFT with a value of less than $100,000 in United States dollars after February 1st, 2023, end quote. Binance did, however, stress that customers would still be able to use their credit or debit card to buy and sell cryptocurrencies and that payments to or from third-party exchanges would still be processed. Yeah, for now, that's what I'm saying. Just wait, just wait. It'll happen. They'll take care of that shit too. The cryptocurrency exchange added that SWIFT-based transfers would remain in operation for non-USD bank transfers such as the euro. Binance confirmed the change would not impact its quote-unquote corporate accounts. Yeah, because you guys are doing over $100,000 in exchanges. 
The banking partner involved is Signature Bank, according to a January 21 report by Bloomberg. The bank set the minimum transaction limit to $100,000 in an effort to decrease its exposure to the digital asset market, Bloomberg explained. While payment service disruption wasn't Binance's decision, the trading platform has suspended transfers in recent times. Binance recently imposed a temporary suspension on Solana-based USDT and USDC deposits back on November the 17th of last year, while the exchange also temporarily expended Ether and wrapped Ether deposits and withdrawals for about 10 days ahead of the Ethereum merge. So this is going on. And sure, I guess, yeah, we want to limit our exposure because of all the heinous crap that's gone on. That's not outside the realm of possibility, but this is going to be sticky. See, that's the issue is that they're never get like, well, okay, well, when all the markets calm down, everything will be fine. And they'll go back to doing swift payment, you know, processing swift payments for under a thousand dollars. No, they won't. Credit cards are next. Debit cards are next. There, this this new SWIFT banking partner that Binance is looking for, when they do find them, if they find them, they'll do the same thing later on. The on and off ramps have always been a major pain point. We always knew this was coming. It is now here. We all, me included, need to learn how to use the P2P exchanges. We need to start taking our money in Bitcoin. We need to start mining, if at all possible. Thankfully, I live so far north now that running a few miners to heat the house on extraordinarily cheap electricity in Washington state, because it is, it's one of the cheapest electricity rates ever because of all the hydroelectric that's around here. I've never paid this little for electricity. It's like, it's, it's almost like it's free. And it would probably behoove me to get a couple of old S9s, build a soundproof box and use it to heat the back room because this son of a bitch gets cold. Now, what else is going on today? Uh, do we want to do this one? Hold on, let me check the length. Yeah, we'll do this one. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine, Heidi Porter. In 2023, Bitcoiners must stop shooting or blocking the messengers. Now, this may not be what I think it is because I kind of scanned through it a little bit and she seems to be not saying, be nice to shitcoiners. Let's see if that actually holds out. I love Bitcoin and the world that Bitcoin helps create as much as any of the most passionate Bitcoiners do. As such, I want to do and say things that help it succeed. This desire is not even an iota unique. However, sometimes what does not feel productive is productive. Constructive criticism is productive discourse for Bitcoin. Pointing out incorrect assumptions is productive discourse for Bitcoin. Enumerating dangers is productive discourse for Bitcoin. Calling out hypocrisy of goals versus actions is or can be productive discourse. That said, illogical or nonsensical criticism is not productive discourse. Criticizing because you haven't done the work to understand is not productive discourse. Appealing to authority or intuition versus well-researched information is not productive discourse. Refusing to understand different use cases for different people is not productive discourse. I think most people would agree in theory with the above, but then we are human. 
our wants, needs, and emotions, they all get in the way. Getting criticism does not feel good. Giving criticism, regardless of merit, feels good. Immediate or short-term gratification does feel good. These are part and parcel of the incentives in the business of being human. The result is that noise is amplified <coughs> and signal is de-amplified. The result is that the wisest and most prophetic people in Bitcoin are often dismissed or ignored or shot. This shoot the messenger behavior is not correlated with price. Messengers are shot in the bull market. Messengers are shot in the bear market. Messengers are shot in the sideways market. Messengers, well, they're just shot. The bullet riddled know who they are. They repeat themselves repeatedly. Let's repeat and review just a few of these messages. If you want Bitcoin to be for people's security as well as freedom and human rights, don't post public photos without people's consent. If you want people to be physically secure using Bitcoin, Stop sharing information with third-party marketing firms that do not meet the security required for Bitcoin customers. At the very least, require separate customer emails for use in marketing systems versus account access or downloads. If you want decentralization of miners throughout the world, stop pushing for excessive mining in your city, your company, or your country. If you want privacy, don't shout that something offers complete privacy when that is not completely true. If your organization's stated mission is defending civil liberties in the digital world, then you should speak up when a bill is introduced that walks all over those. Looking at you, Electronic Frontier Foundation. Oh, calling out the EFF, bro. If you want people to use money soundly, don't tell them to run up credit cards or mortgage their homes to put all their money into Bitcoin and just hodl. If you want a peaceful revolution, definitely don't suggest that Bitcoin is analogous to weapons. If you want people to understand Bitcoin, don't make irrational equivalencies to explain it. In a recent Bitcoin Magazine article, Stephen Rivera or Stephen Levera wrote about exactly this issue. And finally, dear reader, insert other similar if-then posts here. If you don't think any of the above is that important, then steel man the counter-argument of the above. With the possible exception of the last one, and all, all of the above represent real threats to both people's physical safety and security. All of the points are part and parcel of what people are themselves claiming to be the goals of Bitcoin. Human incentives often operate from short-term or immediate gratification versus a look at long-term consequences or results. It takes humble research, hard work, and an effort at discourse to deal with the above issues, as well as other technical and business concerns that are raised and need to be solved. For 2023, let's not shoot productive messages or their messengers. Instead, let's all take a good look at our own short-term incentives and gratification and align them better with the goals that we want for Bitcoin in order to make a happier year for more, not just the few. I like Heidi. I do, but you know, it, this is one that you're going to have to take it as, as you, as you see it. I am one of the, I am one of the people that I have and will continue to engage in non-productive discourse because when somebody is over there on Noster shilling nano, I'm going to take every shot that I can at them to make that person feel small, bad, and marginalized. I know that that is a horrible horrible thing to do, but I can't help it. And why can't I help it? Because that same person made me this way. I am this way because I'm tired of seeing people get taken to the bank every single time a new altcoin 
comes up in the middle of, or at the very first start of a bull market, and then everybody gets rugged. I'm tired of people talking about DeFi as it's actually decentralized and actually something to do with finance, of which it is neither. I'm sick of giving anybody a pass for what I consider and I know for in my heart of hearts as being bad for other people. If you are here to shill Litecoin, you should feel bad because you are a bad person. If you feel the need to shill Nano or Ether, same thing goes. The carbon in your body is more valuable upon my grill than it is for you walking around enabling you to suck down the same oxygen that I do because you're not in it for anybody other than yourself. You hold a bag, you somehow or another got fooled into buying it, you feel fucking stupid, so now you need to pass the savings on to some other idiot, and you're gonna get them wrecked too. And this also goes for Michael Saylor. Because I forgot that he was advising people to run up credit cards and get a mortgage on their house to hodl Bitcoin. Sure, he was Bitcoin only. Do I applaud that? Absolutely, I applaud being Bitcoin only. I don't see how he thought it was ever a good idea to tell people to put a mortgage on their house to buy anything. Anything. Because he didn't give instructions as to timelines. He didn't say, well, let me see what your Chase Manhattan, you know, Visa card, you know, uh, what your... uh, not well. What your credit limit is, what your interest rate is, what how much money do you make a month? Let me take all that shit into consideration before I tell you to go max it out. Because I guarantee you, people took his advice. They maxed out their credit cards, and some poor idiot somewhere, at least one, took a mortgage out, possibly even a second or God forbid a third mortgage out on their house to buy Bitcoin. I saw the same shit happened in 2016. I saw it happen in 2017. At the time, there weren't weren't as many shit coins to get wrecked on. People were full on getting wrecked on Bitcoin itself. It happened. And the suicide hotline numbers were all over Reddit. So many times that I can't even remember how many times these things have happened because people keep doing stupid shit. And as much as I I got a lot of respect for Michael Saylor, I do not respect the move when he tells people to go max out credit cards and get a mortgage on their house. It doesn't make sense. Don't listen to Michael Saylor when he does shit like that. Let him buy Bitcoin. Uh, That's fine. But him giving that advice, that that was stupid. That was stupid and dumb. But as to the rest of this piece, there are parts I agree with, parts I don't agree with, parts that I'm willing to work in and parts that I'm not. I'm never gonna be nice to a shit coiner. I've tried before, it always, they always end up getting other people into trouble and then the bear market comes and the suicide hotline numbers go up. I'm never going to give them a single inch. Mississippi, however, they're going to give people an inch. Mississippi and Missouri lawmakers introduced bills to protect the rights to mine Bitcoin and run a Bitcoin full node. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey has it. Lawmakers from the United States of Mississippi and Missouri 
or Missouri, depending on how you pronounce it, have introduced bills that seek to legally protect their citizens' rights to run a Bitcoin node and to bind BTC. Here's an excerpt from the bill. It shall be legal in the state of Mississippi to run a node or a series of nodes for the purpose of home digital asset mining at a private residence. Okay, they don't quite understand it, but I'll give it. They're trying. It shall be legal in the state of Mississippi to operate a digital asset mining business in an area zone for industrial use. So there is some strictures here. Uh, neither the state nor a political subdivision thereof shall prohibit the running of a node or series of nodes for the purpose of home digital asset mining at a private residence. Oh, we've already read that one. Uh, hold on. Let's see. There's, they screwed this up somehow in the, in the Bitcoin magazine piece. Um, no political subdivision shall place any specific limit on sound decibels generated from home digital asset mining that is more restrictive than other limits set for sound pollution enforced by the politics subdivision. This is interesting. Neither the state nor political subdivision thereof shall prohibit a digital asset mining business from operating in any area zoned for industrial use. Bills have been submitted to both the House and Senates of the respective states with Senator Josh Harkins and Representative Jody Stevens, both Republicans, leading the movement within Mississippi. Representative Phil Cristofanelli, I messed that up, Cristofanelli and Missouri of Missouri submitted its respective bill to the House. Both states' bills utilize language from the Satoshi Action Fund. Amongst the explicit rights for nodes and mining, the bills also have language prohibiting one political subdivisions of the state creating required. Did they ever do that? Yeah. We'll just do it as they've got it. Political subdivisions of the state creating requirements, which are not in line with other data center requirements and changing the zoning of Bitcoin miners without proper notice Two, outlawing of discriminatory energy rates directed at Bitcoin mining. Wow. Three, sound ordinances directed at mining facilities that are not in line with other sound ordinances within the community. And four, operating nodes or miners being considered the act of money transmitting. So that one, that's a 10th amendment issue right there because that goes directly against what the federal government will call money transmission. That's gonna be a hell of a battle if it comes down to it. I got all the popcorn I can handle for that one. Just yesterday, a New Hampshire commission recommended that the State Department of Energy investigate how Bitcoin mining could be integrated into energy grids statewide. In addition to this recommendation, a report released in November 2022 directed at members of the Texas legislature recommended making Bitcoin an authorized investment for the state while giving tax incentives to local BTC miners. Quote, I see an opportunity for states that were left out of the tech boom to have a real shot at taking part in the Bitcoin boom, Dennis Porter, CEO and founder of Satoshi Action Fund, commented. Further quoting, mining facilities often get built in rural parts of America. We hope that Missouri and Mississippi see this potential and begin opening up their states to Bitcoin mining businesses, In quote. The reports all signify growing interest from states across America on how they can benefit from adopting Bitcoin and utilizing Bitcoin mining within their energy networks. 
Continued political action from the likes of Bitcoin Policy Institute and Satoshi Action Fund greatly contribute to the education of lawmakers. Quote, now that these bills have been drafted and introduced, we must continue the education process for the elected leaders of the state of Mississippi, Porter said. In regards to concerns voiced by Bitcoiners about the consolidation of hash rate in North American jurisdictions, Porter said that, quote, consolidation of mining is a concern, but it is much less of a concern than consolidation of nodes. The nodes and the users of the Bitcoin network are the ones in control. The, bro the block size wars proved this. However, extreme consolidation of mining could become a risk. We at Satoshi Action strongly support the growth of hash rate outside of the United States of America and North America. End quote. Eric Peterson, Director of Policy at the Satoshi Act Fund, has also been working to advise Mississippi. He explains how, quote, because of its unique characteristics, Bitcoin miners are looking to expand their footprint in the state. Legislators can see the opportunities those miners bring, especially in terms of creating jobs in rural areas. If the bills are enacted, they could contribute to mounting interest from state governments, something that Peterson is seemingly leaning in on. Quote, the most important concept for legislators to understand is that Bitcoin is not going away anytime soon. Even if states don't get behind the industry, they need to have a working regulatory structure for it and ensure that businesses who operate in this state can do so long term in their state. End quote. And that's the end of the article. I'm interested in this because it looks like, I mean, yes, you need, you kind of need a node in conjunction with mining, but I think they got this one wrong. It shall be legal in the state of Mississippi to, to run nodes or a series of nodes for the purpose of home digital asset mining at a private residence, and then not include a provision of the bill for node runners by themselves. I need to have, I, mean, I don't need to have it. I'm gonna run my node no matter what anybody says, but there should have at least been language that says, uh, something to the like it shall be legal in the state of Mississippi to run a node or a series of nodes for the purpose of supporting the Bitcoin network. Because I like as of yet, I don't mind. Right. So there's nothing in this legislation that just protects, quote unquote, a node runner and not a miner. What's also of note is the, the sound ordinance. That means the fact that they even addressed in legal language sound means that they are indeed being educated about the Bitcoin mining industry. And that I got hope. I got, I, I got hope that these people will, will start really figuring this out because that sound ordinance thing, that's, that's a big deal. Now the regulation of it being, you know, in, in like, you know, massive mining farms being in, 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 uh, in industry uh, zoned areas, you knew that shit was coming because that's just the way it goes. But getting back to the sound one, it's like you can't, I love the language that says, look, is it any more or less noisy than, than the sound ordinance that we put on, I don't know, uh, engine brakes on trucks where you basically put your, your 18 wheeler in gear down a hill and you let the engine take the load. That's what's called engine braking but it makes a lot of noise because you're overdriving your engine and that basically you're burning more gas and your engine's basically revving up to take the load 
of slowing you down, right? So there are truck engine brake ordinances. You'll see signs all over the place. In some places, they don't have those ordinances, or at least they're not posted that you can't do it at all. There are some places that say you must have engine brake mufflers if you're going to use engine braking, whereas in other places, it's just banned all, all outright. The point I'm making is that if I put an, a Bitcoin mining firm or, or you know warehouse right there next to a highway that has a sound ordinance that says, well, if you've got mufflers, you're okay. But then they come up to me and say, well, you know, your shit is really loud. Uh, we're going to levy an ordinance. We're going to levy the ordinance and you can't be any you know, louder than some decibels. And then I find out that that's 20 decibels lower than any average 18 wheeler coming down the grade right next door on the highway with engine mufflers. That's what that sound ordinance is guarding against is like, dude, what's the, what's the, what's the, What's the loudest you can be in this area under our existing sound ordinances? Then that's, you can't be over that. You can't be over that as a Bitcoin miner and we can't come tell you that you've got to be 10 decibels lower. That's really smart legislative writing. That's the detail work that can get you killed if it's not included. The one that I'm most happy about is the money transmission one. Operating nodes or miners being considered the act of money transmitting, not allowed. But the federal government can tell who is actually, they can make a, they can make a claim, your money transmitting. Well, if I'm in the state of Mississippi, does that mean the 10th amendment protects me from the federal government's issuance of a claim that I am indeed transmitting money without a license? Do you see the war that's going to build on the 10th Amendment around that? That's almost like Mississippi and Missouri saying, we want to take back our financial sovereignty as a state. We will decide who is transmitting money and who is not, not the federal government. And it is indeed, by the way, if you read the Constitution, this is a 10th Amendment issue. It is not a federal government issue. It's a 10th Amendment state right issue because money transmission is not fucking defined in the body of the constitution of the United States. And that's what the 10th amendment says. If it's not defined in the body of the constitution of the United States, it then falls upon the states to decide what to do with it. Man, this is going to be awesome, especially if these bills pass, especially if they pass with that particular 10th Amendment issue tagging onto it. Now, getting into stupidity, I mentioned Michael Saylor telling people to do home loans or uh, get mortgages to buy Bitcoin. How about this one? United States home loan banks lent billions of dollars to crypto banks, according to a report, Cointelegraph's Anna Paula Pereira, I guess that's how you pronounce it, has it. The United States federal home loan bank system is lending billions of dollars to two of the largest cryptocurrency banks in an effort to mitigate the effects of a surge in withdrawals, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal on January the 21st. The federal home loan bank system is a consortium of 11 regional banks across the United States that provide funds to other banks and lenders. Founded during the Great Depression to support 
housing finance. The system has 1.1 trillion with a T dollars in assets and over 6,500 members. The entity reportedly lent nearly $10 billion to commercial bank Signature Bank in the last quarter of 2022, making it one of the largest borrowing transactions by a bank in recent years. In 2018, the Signature received approval. The Signature Bank received approval from the Department of Financial Services of New York for its blockchain-based digital platform. The second bank to request funds from the FHLB was Silvergate, receiving at least $3.6 billion. In the last quarter of 2022, Silvergate experienced significant outflows of deposits and took took steps to maintain cash liquidity, including selling debt securities, the net loss attributable to common shareholders in the period summed up to $1 billion with a B. According to Silvergate's report, the average digital asset customer deposits in the fourth quarter of 2022 was $7.3 billion, a significantly lower amount compared to the prior quarter when deposits reached $12 billion. Traditional finance has remained immune to crypto contagions following the collapse of FTX, but FHLB loans to crypto-exposed banks could increase that risk, notes the report. Could, does, not will, already has. Come on, dude, could my ass. In comments to WSJ, Senator Elizabeth Warren noted that, This is why I've been warning of the dangers of allowing crypto to become intertwined with the banking system, claiming that taxpayers should not be left holding the bag for collapses in the crypto industry, which she called a market full of fraud, money laundering, and illicit finance. And she's not wrong. (laughs) 99% of this entire industry is shit. It's, It's a dumpster fire. It's filled with the worst individuals ever. And yet Bitcoin will never die. Continuing on, FTX's group collapse caused a ripple effect across the crypto industry affecting many companies. In the most recent development, crypto lender Genesis filed for chapter 11. Uh, And on January the 19th, having liabilities estimated between, I love this, one and $10 billion. That's an order of magnitude difference. That's an order of magnitude. That's not, that's not an acceptable error in anything. One to 10 billion, one to two. I could see one to three, I'll give you one to five, but shit, an order of magnitude? One to 10? Are you insane? What the hell is wrong with you? Okay, so <laughs> let's get back to this, this the whole notion of the federal home loan banking system with $1.1 trillion in assets under management and 6,500 member banks that was specifically designed out of the Great Depression to allow people to afford to buy homes is being used to backstop the crypto industry's hemorrhaging of liquidity. Is that the way that I'm reading this? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm correct. How the hell were they roped into this shit? Why is the federal home loan banking system backstopping anything in the private sector other than home loans? What was going on with FTX? I can't help but to wonder, and yeah, tinfoil hat comes out, that the entire 
history of FTX is a sham. The entire history and how it was built, Alameda, a sham. That it was all an op to try to destroy Bitcoin. I don't, I mean, you know, they're going to end up destroying crypto at one point or another. Uh, you'll always have some kind of shit coin floating around, you know, in, in some phase or another. But really, the only thing that survives any of this is Bitcoin itself. And that's why I don't mind the rest of the, the dumpster fire that is the crypto, uh, the crypto industry, because they're always such easy targets and they waste a lot of ammunition from federal agencies around the world. Not just the United States government fed, but like, you know, the federal authorities of Mexico and Spain and you name it, right? They, they, it's, it's attractive because it's just such low hanging fruit because it's all bloat that the tree that it's hanging off of can't support it. And it ends up being ground level because of all the fucking fraudsters that are hanging on to this stuff. And meanwhile, Bitcoin at the very top of the tree it's kind of relatively protected because they, the federal agencies keep going after the, the, the crappy stuff. Elizabeth Warren is not wrong. She's not, I don't like her, but she's not wrong. She's absolutely 100% correct. She's wrong when she says anything about Bitcoin, but for the rest of it, it's all fraud. It's all here to take your money and take other, you know, people that you know, take their money too. Your friends, your family, they're all in danger if they get into shit coinery and they always have been. There's nothing that's ever going to stop it. Then federal governments may, you know, levy serious blows and crush it to, you know, a powder, but it's, there will always be a, it'll always be a Phoenix of a shit coin coming out of those ashes. And meanwhile, Bitcoin marches ahead. And it's up to us to try to figure out ways to make sure that people understand the difference. There, Bitcoin has nothing to do with cryptocurrency. It's a completely different animal. And it seems that 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 message just, it's impossible to get out to people, but be that as it may, that's where we're at. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Let's start the week out with a, a joke. A dad says jokes. Apparently, Keeping tropical fish at home can have a calming effect on the brain. It must be all the endorphins. Endorphins. Yeah, that's a classic dad joke right there. Okay. Um, What are we going to do this week? We are 23 days. Yeah, 23 days into the first month of 2023, I feel like I've done absolutely jack shit. And I can't, you know, and I, 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 I'm bad because of it and I should feel bad because of it. I, it's the amount of habits that I got to change is, is almost redonkulous. And I suspect that I am not alone. And if you're feeling the same way, you're not alone either. So what I have been doing is becoming more engaged in trying to get a hold of ranchers around here, get them on the phone, but they're hard. These guys are hard to get a hold of. They are working all the time. They don't, I need to, I'm hoping that I can get them to understand that if they spend their time with me, that, that, that it'll be rewarded somehow. Maybe I get them into the beef initiative. 
Maybe they start selling, you know, more boxes that they or more meat than they would normally have. I don't know. But I want these guys to start telling their stories because their stories are important. And if we don't, if I don't get them on the show, I think it'll only help the serious degradation of the American rancher. There's these guys that have kids, their kids don't want to get into ranching. They want to go to New York and be a hedge fund manager because that's where all the action is, right? That's where the champagne and strippers and blow is. You know, they're not seeing what I see and I can't force that on anybody. Hell, I can't even force that on my own children. I do my best, but even if I build a farm tomorrow, will my son and daughter want to take it over? What, what, what do... I don't want to have anything to do with New York lifestyle or, or LA. But I did when I was a kid, when I was much younger, but I don't anymore. And I should have been this way when I was 19. Because once, what happens when the children of the rancher doesn't take over the ranch? It gets sold off to Bill Gates. But what happens then? You think Bill Gates is interested in ranching? Shit, no. He's got all his money poured into fake meat. He's not going to directly compete with themselves, even with himself, even as a hedge. Even as a hedge, he's not going to do it. He's got. He doesn't need to. Bill Bill Gates doesn't need to hedge. All these people that are pouring their money into fake meat, they don't give a shit if it actually makes any money. Whatever nefarious purpose, if nefarious purpose at all that they have, I don't know, and I don't give a shit. All I know is what the effects are. That said, that said, it still doesn't make one whit a difference as to what happens with no secession. The success of going from the father and grandfather rancher to the son, grandson, daughter, granddaughter uh, succession. That's what success means. It means you move from one to the other place. Without succession, American ranching dies. Small farm holdings just die. That's why I was so excited about this crew of people north of Spokane. It is 40 square miles of farms, and they all know each other, and they're all small landholders. And I don't know how many farms are actually represented in that 40 square miles, but there's a lot. And they have a cooperative. And, and it's like been there for so long that it's, a, it's now around, quote unquote, around these parts. It's a big deal to go up there to north of Spokane and hang out with all them farmers and shit. We need more of that. Way, way, way more of that. The dude that I saw, he's way like he's retired. Younger than I am, though. He retired out of the Navy. Or, uh, yeah, out of the, I think he was a naval aviator is what he said. He flew jets. <laughs> And he's way young, younger than I am. And he's only been doing this for three years. Bought, I bought, you know, we bought stuff off of him. He makes great chocolate. You know, he makes really good chocolate and, and that's hard to do. And they're doing it in this small community. And they need, they and people like them need more of us to go buy their stuff instead of going to Safeway, okay? It's not just about the rancher. It's about like we bought a uh, chicken last night from the Moscow Food Co-op. The, the chicken's expensive. It's more expensive than the Pilgrim's Pride that you're gonna get in any supermarket. It's delicious. 
And you know what? It feeds a family of four perfectly with two sides. The breasts, the legs, you know what they are not? They are not Franken-chickens. They are not breasts so big that by the time you cook them, that they're dry on the outside and kind of a little bit possibly underdone on the inside. They're not like that. It's a normal chicken and it's delicious. You can tell the difference. It's worth the money. There's more nutrition in this chicken that is one half. Get this, I mean, either, either two thirds to one half of the full eating weight of a Pilgrim's Pride Franken chicken that you get, yet there's more nutrition in this chicken than anything you're gonna get out of one of the Franken chickens. You're actually paying less money for more nutrition. It looks smaller and we've been programmed to think that that's bad more bang for your buck, but you can't see nutrition. You do after you eat it for a while and you start realizing that you hardly ever get sick. Like, like me, like I do, I rarely get sick. I've been walking around people like wiping their nose on their sleeves. I've been sick twice in the last two years. And both of those times was exactly in last year because I figured out that I need to eat more nutritious animal protein, not just more animal protein. So it's not just shake your rancher's hand, it's shake your chicken farmer's hand. Mary, it's Mary's Chicken is the brand of chicken I'm talking about. You can even get that shit all the way down in Lubbock, Texas at Natural Grocers in Amarillo. Or at least you can get the turkeys around uh, Thanksgiving time. And yes, you're gonna pay through the nose for it but they're more delicious than anything that you've ever had out of Walmart or Safeway. It's not just shaking the chicken rancher's hand. You got the guy that raises the lamb, the guy that raises all the sheep, that all these people shear for the wool, for all these ladies to sit around and spin yarn with. That person needs to be appreciated too. Nobody's appreciating these people. The small holding vegetable farmers, the apple orchardists, the cherry orchardists, the peach orchard, apricots, all the fruit even if you believe in eating fruit or not. I love me some cherries, but you eat too many of them and you get a lot of sugar. That's, that's your, your thing. It's all, it's, this is the way, because this attitude that I have now wasn't given to me by Texas Slim or any of the beef initiative guys. This attitude was given to me by all of the Bitcoiners that came before them. And they got their attitude from probably all the Bitcoiners that came before them as well. But they're doing something with it. You know, I found 40 people that I can go leverage for interviews as to why do you do what you do and how do you do it? What's the advice you have for somebody who wants to get the hell out of the city? Because you probably should. Before all the windows to get out of the city close on your ass. They're closing now. You know, that's something that I can do. That's something that I can concentrate on. That makes me feel not so bad because it's already 23 days into January. What are you going to do? Well, then go do it and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.